This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. It's a special bonus edition Arscast. We've already done an Arscast extra for you today, so hopefully you've uh, got your ears around that one. If you haven't, you can go back and listen myself and James discuss the 1-0 win over Bournemouth and all that that entailed. But this particular episode, it revolves around two... Arsenal legends. You might have seen on his social media, his Instagram in particular, Ian Wright turning up at Dennis Bergkamp's door, knocking on the door, being welcomed inside, and they sat down and did a a big, long interview, which is being released on Wednesday on Ian's YouTube channel. So I'll give you more details about that a bit later on, but Ian has very kindly given me some of his time to, uh, to chat about Dennis Bergkamp, about the interview, and also about some of the young players that are coming through at Arsenal this season, Eddie Nketiah in particular is somebody that Ian has taken under his wing. He's on loan at Leeds United. And we talk a bit about the advice that he's giving him, uh, his potential as a player, along with some of the other young players who are really exciting us this season so far at Arsenal. So uh, enjoy this. This is me and Ian Wright. Andrew, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good, thank you. And uh, as always, thank you very much for your time. I just want to start by asking, when was the last time you saw Dennis in person? Well, we, we FaceTimed we FaceTimed kind of a little bit in and out, you know, FaceTime a bit. So I haven't seen Dennis for, I don't know, uh, over... When did he come to do the... When did he come to do the statue? Oh, my that's God. That's the last time I saw him. Wow. Yeah, that's the last time I saw him. That's a good few years ago. So that's a few years, yeah. So it's just great to see him and and Enrita and everybody. I didn't get to see the oldest, the oldest two, Mitch and Stella and that. But like I saw, I saw one of the younger one of the younger daughters. It's just great to see them and Enrita, his wife. You know, because we spent a lot of time together when we were playing because we used to share rooms. Yeah. So we got we got kind of close. And how how was it like when you see, you know, when you talk to somebody um, via whatever electronic communication you want to talk to them about, whether it's WhatsApp or yeah. FaceTime or whatever, you know, it's it's fine. But then when you when you see somebody for the first time in a long time, it can maybe be a, a little bit strange or awkward. How was it seeing you him again? It was, you know what? It was kind of, I, I felt, you know, not, not emotional. I don't want to cry, Andrew, but... I just felt like I'm just, you know, somebody that you just love. It's like you, I was so happy to see him. 
because the, the thing with Dennis is that because when when we're in each other's company and when we used to be, he always, as much as his very dry sense of humour, always messing around prankster. He, he always has a little smile. He's always laughing. <laughs> like, I've done a little <laughs> thing with him. I've done a little thing with him where you know I said. I love you, man, and he's and and he says, yeah, yeah, I, I love you too. I said, well, why can't you say it first? Why can't you say it first? Sometimes he says, I was going. It's, it's in the interview. I don't. I don't want to give any spoilers, but it's just a little snippy clip that they done. But that's what he's like. But it's just just to see him, and then you know, you go into his. We went down into his um into his kind of like trophy cabinet room, Andrew. Just just awesome. Of course, he's got some Ajax stuff and that, but he's got a room that's just pure Arsenal. It's just, you know, it's, I, I love him, Andrew. A treasure trove. A treasure trove of just memories and stuff, you know what I mean? It was just like, you know, and then, you know, we was talking about stuff, obviously, off the camera, and then, you know, once we was talking on the camera, but I just, like I say, he's got two, his two youngest are still doing their schooling, but I just get the impression that he's he's going to be back here at some stage. I just get that impression. You When you say back here, you mean Arsenal? Well, yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, you know, he... When we talked about it, he mentioned in the interview about he doesn't want to manage. He doesn't want to be a head coach. He wants to be involved in that that age group and that level of footballer where he knows he can really make a difference in respect of expression and playing and, and attitude. Mm. And, you know, all the, all the great stuff that he was all about, you know, getting the best out of yourself, working hard, you know, living right. He says he, that, that's the... That's where he gets the most joy um, out of what he's uh, out of the, the coaching. Yeah, and and look, the example that he set to other players at Arsenal, you know, is, is fairly legendary, isn't it? In terms yeah. of yeah. how he trained, how he played, how he lived his life, and everything else. And even uh, there was um, Robin van Persie. I remember talking uh, one time about how he had come in from training and he watched. Dennis Bergkamp out there doing some practice drills, some shooting, or whatever it was, and it kind of dawned on him. Well, if I ever want to be anywhere near as good as Dennis Bergkamp, I have to I, kind of behave I, like I, Dennis Bergkamp. Yeah, yeah, I have to do it. And that's funny because I was with Robin the other day. We was doing a, we was doing a show for um, the Premier League, and you know, I mean, he was talking about Dennis and the impact that Dennis had on him. And he he, he kind of said the same thing, Andrew. Is that he said that if like like you said, if Dennis Bergkamp's out there doing that, why am I in here? I should be out there, and and that's that's the kind of that's the kind of impression he had on all of us. Because like I've said on many occasions, Andrew, when Dennis came, we were shocked simply that Inter, Inter Milan would let a player of that caliber go. And yeah, seven million at the time was a lot of money, but we could not believe that they let him go because mm. he's in training. Um, in the way he was, in the way and the way he integrated with us, he he talks about the core and how he believes that you, in England you have to have a, a British core in your team. He believes that there should be some around because he's, he integrated so quickly with us and, and got it so quickly that he he, he realised how important it was to have that core. And you know, it, it, for us as a team and as the players that we were, and we remember we were. In 90, when I got there in 91, Andrew, we'd already won the league twice in the three years and we kind of went through that winning cups kind of phase. Yeah. FA Cups and, and um, a, a Cup Winners' Cups. So when Dennis came, you know, you, you know, we were a team that were, we were good enough, but we weren't, we weren't there mentally. You know, we weren't there mentally and we, we, we knew that we had the players that have done, done the hard yards, what it takes to win a league. But everybody was almost stagnant. 
Mm. Went stagnant. Too much jollies. Too many people just like jollying up. We turned into a cup team. And um, Dennis, Dennis actually said in the interview that when he first got there, he realised that we're, we, we, weren't, we weren't capable of being champions yet. But then once Platy came and then we went through that, that, that second, get, got into that, that second season, he, 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 I remember we played at Leeds and Dennis mentions in the interview, I, I remember saying to him when we were getting ready in the tunnel, Andrew, mm. I, looked ar I looked around at our team and I said, we can, we can win, man. We can be champions, man. I remember when Dennis said it. He said that. I remember you said that to me. I think we drew 1-1 with Leeds. But I looked at our team and I said to him, we can be champions. And with him in there and Platy, and then the rest of the guys were all much more infused about taking on United, taking on being at the top end and doing what we needed to do. Yeah. We just... We just, it was just, he, he brought that. He, he brought that. He brought that belief. As a player at a club who, you know, at that time, you, you say we're a cup team and weren't really challenging for the title. What, what does it mean? Um, how does it change your perception of the club itself? Like, no matter how much you love Arsenal, if you're at an Arsenal that's never going to challenge for a league title, you, you might think about it in a different way. But does it suggest to you, you know, when someone like Dennis Bergkamp comes in with that profile, the 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 way it kind of blew uh, Arsenal's transfer business wide open? We hadn't really done any transfer like that previously or certainly in my lifetime somebody but yeah. does does that tell you that there's a seriousness from from the hierarchy from the top of the club that they they mean business well I, I, like i said andrew we we're almost sleepwalking we were just we were we were getting by winning cups getting into cup winners cup and it was fine because it was great days and great you know we won we won stuff but it did when dennis was signed one thing's for sure dennis dennis burkham and david platt would never have signed for arsenal if George Graham was still there. So, however, whatever anyone says about how he left and whatever happens, George Graham would not have signed those two players just because that's because he was George Graham and he just wouldn't have. Yeah. He would not have signed a player like that because in his mind, he thinks it's a luxury player. He'll probably think that David Platt is somebody that just wants to come back and just like swan around, which, which both of them proved the total opposite. Dennis came with a point to prove because people were writing off of Inter Milan and Platy had a successful spell in Italy and wanted to come back. And so, you know, when you put those two into the mix that what we already had, like I say, it, it, you know, it makes you look around and you think, our team's really good. Now, if we can all get together in respect of what we're doing, nutrition, all the drinking stopped, all the stuff, we turn into a serious fucking football team. Mm. You know, and yeah. so then you look at it and you think to yourself, as bad as it was when George went, we were all gutted. Well, you know what I mean? It would wait. You almost feel to yourself, that doesn't happen if George Graham's still in charge of Arsenal. We probably would have just faded out. You know what I mean? At some stage, he probably would have moved on. Players would have started leaving. Because when I went to Arsenal, I went to Arsenal to win the league. Yeah. I genuinely... Because like I said, when I got there, they were champions twice out of the last three. And then we went through this, this spell of just winning winning cups. And that's why in the end, Andrew, for me to end up winning the Premier League, that's why I think when people see, when I, I raised up the Premier League trophy and then I've done my bit, then I turned around to the to the North Bank with it and then I got to give it back to get my medal. <laughs> and when I jumped off, I just spin and jumping thing because it was, I didn't even realise, Andrew, but that was the year after that season, I was, I was going to be moved on to West Ham. Yeah. So it was literally, it was my last chance. That was my last chance. You know, it was my last chance. And if I never won the, 
the league being at Arsenal with the goals I scored, I probably wouldn't be the kind of same infused, like, like uh, effervescent guy because I'd feel like I'd, 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 I'd almost let, let not only the club down, let myself down. Yeah. Because we were good enough and I scored enough goals, but I knew that we were serious about what we were doing because of David Dean, obviously, because they were David Dean signings and because we spent so much money. Yeah. I mean that didn't happen. It th- didn't I was the I was the record signing, I think, what two and a half million. Yeah. We spent we spent seven million pounds on Dennis Burkham. And if George Graham was there, I remember David Dean telling me the story about George Graham not wanting to pay more than two point two five for me. Two two million two hundred and fifty. That's it. That's the ceiling. Yeah. And I heard that David Dean had to get that through himself. He was the one who got it through. And get got the, and made made the deal get done because George Graham would have said no, we're not doing it. Then we won't do it. So for the sake of two hundred and fifty thousand, I could have not not been at Arsenal. Think of all the goals we would have we would have missed out on over but, kind no, of a paltry sum, yeah. Yeah, but it's such a paltry sum. But what what I the point I make with it is how petty George Graham was in respects of you know success and what he wanted. Because remember, George Graham's success was done on shoestring and youngsters. Mm. It was. It wasn't done on spending a lot of money. Dave Seaman was the um, the record signing before me, one point three or something, whatever it was. So it wasn't about spending for him. It was about bringing people through and nurturing them through, and then them coming to the fore and doing what they done. It wasn't about okay, we're going to spend this money to get this. But David Dean was a visionary, and he knew that that's what's going to happen. So you have to start spending money. Yeah. So when when Dennis Bergkamp arrived and you were you know at a point in your career where, like you say, uh, a couple of years later you were you were moved to West Ham, but were there still things that you as a as a player could could learn from him at that stage of your career? Yeah. Yeah. Prep, his preparation. Because remember, before Dennis came, like I said, we were in the wilderness. Tony was getting over his stuff. To, Bruce Rio, Bruce Rioc. And, and, and George Graham before him placated him in what he was doing with the drinking and everything and all the stuff that was going on. Tuesday Club was still in full flow. You know what I mean? It was, it was just, for me, it was like, it was accepted as a norm mm. um, to do that. But when Dennis came, and the best thing, that, the only thing that Bruce Riott done for me was, um, was made me room with Dennis. And I realised how a world-class player prepares himself for not only training, but for a football match. And how he lived, how he lives his life. That's why I tell the story about the pajamas, and everybody likes it about <laughs> the pajamas. But the thing what I took from it in the end, when we, by the time we finished in that, was it's how you carry yourself and how you you see yourself, and how everything is immaculate with him, and how how, how the preparation was uh, was meticulous, and and and, to, and and literally to fine detail in respects of what time he went to sleep and how he went to sleep and what he done in his routine. And his pajamas and his phone, his missus, then went to sleep and then he was ready in the morning. Wake up, do his stretches. He made me realise that it's just more than, yes, you've got good players around you, but it's how, what are you doing to enhance yourself so that you can be amongst these players? And that's all that happened with me. I wasn't a, I wasn't a, a massive drinker or party animal anyway, Andrew. So it was very easy for me to just slip into that mode what he was, what he was in. Yeah. You know, professionalism and preparation and you know, what I mean, it was something that I, like I say, it was it was a blessing to be able to be able to get myself in a position where I was able, in the end, to play with a player of that caliber, Andrew. Because he is, like I say, when when I meet him, when people say I mean, I genuinely love him. What were the things that you 
discussed in the interview without giving away any spoilers um, or anything like that. Yeah. But but things that that you look back on. Um, obviously, I guess it's a, it's a very Arsenal centric interview. But yeah. you know, what are the things or the moments that well, that, that you shared that 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 really stand out? It was his his first. You know, people constantly talked about the first seven games and how how he was people were calling him a flop and the things about Stuart Pearce and mm. Stuart Pearce saying that he would have, we should have bought Stan Collymore and, and stuff like that. And I asked him about it and he said, to be honest, we, he said, we, we were living like in a hotel, him and Enrita, and they, they were still getting used to all the English stuff. Of course they could speak English, but they weren't really into the newspapers or anything about the newspapers or hearing the, the so-called pressure that he was, he was meant to be under. And he said, I, I was just carrying on like normal, you know what I mean? Waiting for my time to come in, in the game when it would happen. But he said, I, I, I was kind of oblivious of the fact that everyone was making this massive deal that I hadn't scored yet. And so I, I, I said, Dennis, didn't you, don't you even remember after the Hartlepool game where they said the headline was Dennis, and this was the game before Southampton, the Hartlepool headline was said he couldn't even score against a second string goalkeeper from Hartlepool mm. that was the headline I remember it and I remember the, the, it was Dennis in a kind of forlorn figure walking after this game and he said to be honest I didn't take much notice of it because I was so focused on just settling in with the wife with my wife and just us getting by in a new country and stuff again because remember he's not long he's been at Italy and he said I, I just totally was oblivious to it I didn't take no notice yeah and um, you know and then we saw what happened. You know, I think the Hartlepool game was before the, the the Southampton at home and he scored like two unbelievable goals. But we spoke about that. We spoke about obviously the Newcastle goal. You know, the the, the great yeah. goal. Did he, yeah, yeah. Didn't he mean? We spoke about that. And I, I said to him like, but Dennis, I remember when we used to, we scored goals in training and it was just, just it was fine because when we watched it, we watched it, Andrew, that goal. And I remember, I don't know what it was. I can't remember the score at the time. Maybe we was losing. I don't know what it was, but he didn't even celebrate it. I said, Dennis, did, did you did you realise the kind of goal you scored? He said, no. He said, I've just done what we'd done. It was all in the movement. It all happened. And then when I saw it back, I realised, and then everybody was making a big deal of it. And then he said he watched it. But, like, it was interesting how he explained how it went and why it, for him, he just celebrated like normal, just ran back done his bit and just ran back but I, I he, he explained it to me and I, like I said I don't want to give spoilers about it but it's fascinating when you listen to him say, when you listen to him speak about it it's just fascinating it's just his job he's just doing his job in a way well but the thing about it is is yeah and you can see by the when anyone watches it if you watch it you see he scores the goal just runs around just does a quick fist pump and he's running back to the halfway line so, you know what I mean? I think we were either losing in the game or it was a serious serious point of the game. It was uh, it was early on, actually. I think it was about 10 minutes in, so it was nil-nil at the time. But, you know, away right. from home, it's it's a different thing. Yeah, and so, but like, um, what I said to him is that you don't even celebrate. Did you realise the calibre of goal you scored? He said, no, not really. So only when afterwards I realised what it was about. We spoke about the Leicester hat-trick. You know what I mean? We oh, spoke. Yeah. You know, we spoke. You know what I mean? You know, it's like it was just like when you hear him speak about it. It's because from the outside, from the, the only way I can try and 
I don't know, explain it, Andrew. It's like when people say about the goals you scored and that you, you just, you're doing it because you're in the moment at the time. You don't think of it as anything other than, well, that's what I do. And like when I said, yeah, but Dennis, this was one of the greatest hat tricks that people have ever seen. And then I said to him about Dennis, do you remember when you was, you're the only person before and before and since to have one, two and three goals in goal of the fucking month? <laughs> He said, and you know what? I kind of I think he goes, he kind of went, because that's how he goes. He, he, he laughs. He went, oh, yeah. <laughs> and just laughs. You know, because, like, you know, it's really weird, Andrew, because you know, it's somebody that you admire so much, but you're really good friends with him, but you admire him so much, and it's almost like you're you're a little bit shy in their, their presence. That's what yeah. it used to be like with, with Dennis. He doesn't realise, because he saw me as his friend and that, but I saw him. As great, just all the time. It's yeah, just yeah. Great all the time. Do you? What is your? What's your favorite Dennis Burkamp goal? If you have one, is there one that you know maybe that people don't talk about, or one that you, as a you player, wish you you might have scored? No, the, the one I liked best, um, not not the first one against Southampton, but the second one because I think the second one he scored against Southampton is was the one where all of a sudden, for whatever reason, whether he realised it or not, the shackles were off. The shoulders weren't as heavy. He didn't have the world on his shoulders, what we, we, we all thought he was doing. And when he picked up that ball and, you know, he picked it up from the, the someone on the, the right-hand side, went, come inside and then cut back outside and hit this unbelievable shot from outside about 25 yards. And it just blasted in off the post. Mm. That was the one because I remember I was I was going in, following it in. Just and, in case. Um, you know, it, well, not not just in case. It's just because I was further forward in front of him. But when it went in, I remember just blasting like the ball. I just remember just thinking, I want to go. I want to go and celebrate with him. I got to speed up. I got to get back up where he was because he ran back towards the halfway line. That for me was the goal I love more because it was just like, you know, when you're expecting great things from someone. Yeah. And that was the first. That was the first time I saw the great thing. He scored the first one from Glenn Edel's Elders Cross, which was fantastic. But the great thing was that. Yeah. You know, that was the great thing. This is what the, this is the Dennis Bergkamp that I've seen on the television. Seen him saw so many great goals for Holland, for, for Ajax. And then I saw him do a great thing while I'm on the pitch with him. Obviously, the, 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 you know, the, the goals at, at Leicester were amazing. But that was the first one, Andrew. And that was the one that made me think... Jesus Christ, this guy's good. <laughs> uh, and he proved it uh, for season after season after season. Um, yes. So you get the sense that if Arsenal were to approach Dennis at some point and say, look, we know you don't want to be a head coach, but we've got uh, an academy here which has a lot of young talent in it. And I want to talk to you, if I can, in a couple of minutes about some of the young talent that's breaking through at the moment, that he would definitely be open to to a return uh, to the club on, on a coaching level? Well, the thing is, Andrew, I think it's definitely a call that he would take because I get the impression that the job he was doing at Ajax, he really enjoyed. Um, and working with kids of that age that he can really impress himself upon with the freedom to play and that, that spirit in which he played of expression and stuff like that. I definitely think he would take the call. And, you know, with us, I feel... I don't want to talk out of turn, but I know that she is somebody that they absolutely adored England when they were here. So, you know, I do feel that it's something, if that was in the, the mix, um, then Dennis would definitely take that call. And, you know, I can't even tell you, even just thinking of it maybe happening, if it may happen, gives me a buzz of what just having him back in the, in the fold would just would mean 
for the whole club. Just for the whole club, Dennis. How, how much Dennis would give a, a, a lift, Andrew, to the whole place yeah. if he came back then. We, I mean, look, we are seeing a bit of that as well, aren't we, over the last couple of... Uh the last little while, you know, uh, Freddie is back in and he's now part of the first team coaching staff and Edu yes. is in as technical director. And I think we spoke about this before, didn't we? That, you know, maybe in the last few years, there weren't quite enough. I know it's, you know, not necessarily just having a connection to a club is not necessarily the only reason to get a job. You have to be good at the job. But but having yes. Arsenal men there and guys who know what, what, what Arsenal is supposed to be about is a real, I think it's an important thing. I think it's, it's I think it's integral, because what you want to do is you want to uphold the um, the philosophies, and the, and the standards of the club, and that only comes from the people who have been there and have been successful there, people like Dennis, people like Freddie, you want people like that there because they're the ones that when these youngsters are coming through and people talk about legends of the club, those are the people they mention, those are the names, and you want to be able to as a youngster, you're walking through the corridors, and Dennis Burkham's walking past. Freddie Lundberg's walking past us, whatever, whoever yeah. it's going to be, you know. And so those are the things that make them, it's, it's aspiration, Andrew. It's something that Arsene Wenger, for some reason, he didn't really buy into. Yes, he had Robert Perez there for a little bit, uh, doing stuff in and around. But he didn't really buy into the fact that the legends that have been at that club um, and what they can give just by being in and around it. And that's why I think, you know, it, it, it's something that we may have missed. We may have missed the trick on. In, the, in, the, in that era, in that time, when we had a half-decent team that just needed a bit of guidance. You know, so when you look at the youngsters now, and we've got some brilliant youngsters, you know, yes, if, if, you, if you've got that kind of figure around, and you can see already the impact that Freddie's having, it's going to do something, Andrew. It's going to do something. Yeah. Um, speaking of having influence over uh, young players at the club, it's you know, it was very interesting to read uh, Eddie and Kedia talk about the the relationship that that he has with you and the advice that yeah. that you've given him. Um, and I'm curious, you know, to to see, you know, how how exactly you've been uh, mentoring him or advising him because yeah. obviously he's got yeah. he's got coaches, he's got his own coaches around the co- coaches yeah. at Leeds and all that kind of stuff. So is it sort of more? Uh, sort of off-field, look, this one, is, these are the yeah, challenges one, you're going to have? Yeah, it's one-to-one. Firstly, we, we, we had to let, you know, make him understand that if money's what you're doing it for, then, you know what I mean, you'll probably last five, ten minutes. But it's about legacy and what you're capable of doing. And do you want to play for a club like this, Arsenal, a great club, and be a success and be put your name up there with the goal scorers, myself, Thierry, everybody. Because at the end of the day, you've got the ability and the capabilities to do it, but how much do you want it? So when me, and, when me and Eddie started doing it, we'd done some stuff uh, with a, a gaming company, and that's where we first started talking. And that's when I started talking to him about movement and scoring and what scoring should mean and how you should never be satisfied with, with one goal, two goals, three goals. What are you willing to do to get the fourth and the fifth? You know, in respect of what you want to do. What do you want to do? Do you want to win things? Do you want to, is, is it just for money? Is it just, I don't mm. know what it's for. Is it for the, and, and it's not with him. He's got an unbelievable family unit around him. And all he needs is guidance. And the thing is, I want to give those guys guidance because at the end of the day, 
it's 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 brilliant, Andrew, when you're a successful footballer and you've and you've played at that level and you've you've come through and it's been hard and he's gone on loan now and he's scoring and he's doing well. And I said, I did say to him, yeah, go to Leeds because it's a big club and they're under pressure and they need players to to play under pressure and react under pressure. And you need to be a goal scorer if you come back to Arsenal who can score goals in pressure situations. Leeds will give you that kind of experience. And I say to him about his his movement. Never get lazy with your movement just because you've scored a few goals. Continuously make that run to the near post, to the far post. Continuously make that run from one for the defender, one for the full, for someone who's crossing the ball. Never lose that because you can always score a goal with those movements because it's basic centre-forward play where you can get those goals. You nick seven, eight of those goals a season just by doing the movement. It's a goal we saw Martinelli score the other day. Mm. Against uh, against Standard Liège, it was a beautiful movement, a great cross from Tierney from the left. But the movement was one for the defender, got in front of him and just flicked it in. That are, that's that's a centre forwards goal, Andrew. Yeah, and that is what you've got. That is why I say to Eddie, those are the goals that you've got to try and work on getting. You'll get the ones where you get your one on ones, or you might get the ones where you get it on the edge of the box. You move it out your feet, bam, you blast it in. Brilliant. It's those ones where you get in front of the defender, you make the run for the defender outside the box so you can clear the space, so you can blast into the near post. Those runs are what people don't see. And some of the times, the ball doesn't get there, but you cannot stop making those runs. And that is what I say to Eddie on a weekly basis. How? On a weekly basis, because at the moment, at the moment he's talking about he's not playing. I said, remember why you're there. You're there to improve yourself and show those players that you're at a club like Arsenal, great club like Arsenal, with a great attitude, and you're not playing as often as you'd like to play, but you're coming on and you're scoring and you're working hard in training. That is what top players do. So when you do get back to Arsenal, when you're a success, they'll say, yeah, when he was here, he was amazing. His mm. attitude was great. That is how great players become great players. How highly do you rate his potential? Because he is still quite young. Um, yeah. But, uh, but obviously, you know, the start that he's had at Leeds, um, like you say, he's not starting a lot of games, but he's making an impact. Yeah. And I think he has four goals and he's played a couple of games for the under-23s there and he's scored in those games too. So, you yeah. know, it, it's he's got off to scorer. a very promising start. But, I mean, is that does he have that, like, natural yes. instinct yes, that, um, that can be yes. honed over time? Yes, he can, Andrew. And as long as he plays how he plays, because he gets in the box and people say, yeah, he's always scoring tappings. I wish that people could score more tappings. It's not easy to <laughs> score tappings because you have to be arriving and getting there and make your movement so as you could get in there to get a tapping. If it was that easy, everybody would be doing it. It's the, the people with the knack of knowing where to be and being in there to get the tappings are the ones that end up scoring the goals. Now, the problem that he may have is that will he have a manager patient enough for him if he's with, with his link-up play and everything else, what happens as a number nine, if it's not going for him, would uh, Unai Henry, Unai Henry, would uh, Unai Emery have the patience to say, I'm going to stick with him for another few games because I know he will score goals. We're creating chances, so he will score goals. That is the only problem he'll have, is if he's not scoring, if a manager will have the patience with him to get himself back on a scoring run. Mm. Because if they do that, what you want as a striker... Uh, Andrew, is knowing that, listen, I ain't scored for three, four games, but I know this manager will leave me there. It's what happened with Tammy Abraham at Chelsea. For a young player, it's literally out of the blue that you see that. You don't really see it. And Frank stuck with him, and look what he's doing now. He's got eight goals. 
that's what Eddie would need. He would just need somebody to have faith in him if you've got a team that's creating chances that if he hasn't scored for a few games, would still play him mm. and, and keep the faith. That's what it comes down to with a young player and a young striker. Well, look, we will obviously have to wait and see how he gets on for the rest of the season at Leeds. And, uh, you know, Bielsa is a very interesting coach for him as well, isn't he? You know, to yes. to sort of yes. to, to work under. And um, another player, and you talk about being in the right place at the right time, somebody who has that quality, um, not as a striker, but as a midfield player, is Joe Willock, who got his third goal of the season against Standard Liège the other night. And, you know, he has this this ability to be there where when the ball breaks in the box but you know so many other qualities uh, aside from that the the way that he carries the ball through midfield we've seen Bakayo yeah. Saka come through Reese Nelson yeah. is is yeah. making progress this yeah. season how yeah. enthused yeah. are you by by this crop of young players that that's coming through the club because we've had we've had you know um young guys who've come through um quite a lot of them have been uh, foreign players who've come to the club at yes. an early age and haven't quite got there, but but with yes. these guys, with Eddie Reese Nelson, Joe Willock, Saka, you know they're local boys as well, and yeah. I think that makes it just a little bit more special. It does because like you you go back to um, you go back to the eighties when all those guys, when Tony and David Rocastle and Michael Thomas and all those guys broke through later, Kevin Campbell and everybody, Paul Dave, it, it's it's something that when when you can relate to them because they are local boys, you tend to want them to do well even more. And when you when you when you look at the crop that you just mentioned, Joe Willock, Reese Nelson, even Maitland Niles didn't get mentioned there. When you mention those guys and seeing that they've got a genuine opportunity and they're good enough to be in there, and to be fair to the manager, he has thrown them in. He has put them in there. You know what I mean? It really does infuse me simply because I think that if he can stick with them again, don't bow under the pressure of maybe us losing a few games and then the kids are the ones that are sacrificed because you need to, you need to what? You, you, you need to win the games? Joe Willock is, is, is somebody that he really is knocking on the door now, Andrew. Yeah, big it's time. Really He's very much knocking on the door now. And this is why there's certain players in that that are under pressure to perform. And what you want to see from the manager now is if you're not going to perform, then people are here as playing good enough and are knocking on the door loud enough that they have to get their chance. That's what we need from the manager now. All right. Yeah, well, look, it's a, it's an exciting group of young players. And, uh, you know, the Cup games have been great fun this season and the Europa League group stages are... Uh, you know, they give us a chance to see more and more of, um, of these guys. Just very finally... Um, Two goals in two starts at the Emirates for for Gabriel Martinelli, and apparently centre forward is not his best position. That's exciting. Yeah, very exciting because again we look like we've got somebody with the movement, like I mentioned to you, Andrew, um, that looks like he knows his way around the box. You know, he, the, the way he took those two goals were fantastic. He was unlucky with the last one. You know, he was in there just just evaded his foot. But we're talking about someone, Andrew, who knows his way around the box. So. Anybody we can find that can help Laka, help Yang in respects of getting goals, we've got to start making sure that they get their chance simply because I'm worried about Yang losing any kind of form and then all of a sudden 
we start struggling. We need to get goals from somewhere else. For sure. Well, look, it looks like we've got some players who can who can add that. Ian, I look forward to watching this interview with, with Dennis Bergkamp, a real trip down memory lane uh, for all Arsenal fans. And uh, thank you very much indeed for your time. I always really appreciate it. Love you, Andrew. Thanks very much. Up the gunners, my friend. <laughs> thank you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What a man. Thank you very much, Ian Wright. And the interview with Dennis Burkamp is appearing on Ian's YouTube channel on Wednesday. So make sure you're subscribed to that to get that interview and all the other good stuff that Ian does on YouTube as well. It's ianwright.com forward slash ianwright.com. It's youtube.com forward slash ianwright. youtube.com forward slash ianwright. Uh, it's always great to have him on the podcast. I do remember the very first time that I interviewed Ian, I made an absolute bollocks of the intro. If you haven't heard it, I might as well play it for you here. Right, I'm delighted to be welcome. Oh, fuck that shit. Sorry, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. All right, I'm delighted to welcome to the Arsecast right now an Arsenal legend, Ian Wright. Hello there. Ever the professional, that's me. Uh, anyway, look, hope you enjoyed that uh, chat with Ian, and do make sure that you check out the interview coming this Wednesday on his YouTube channel. I'm going to leave it there for this one. Remember, there's an Arsecast Extra, and also, if you like all this wonderful free content that we give you and you want to support the site and you want to get extra content and extra benefits like ad-free podcasts, ad-free Arseblog apps on iOS and Android, and lots more besides, you can become an Arseblog member on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. It costs a fiver a month and that's it. And you help support everything that we do here on the site. So check it out if you like. Patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. If you don't like, it's fine. All this stuff will always be free for you anyway. Right. I'll leave it there. It is an interlull. We're heading into more than two weeks or just two weeks without Arsenal because we're not playing until until the Monday um, after the interlull and after the international games uh, finish. So that's going to be a bit of a chore. We will make sure to have a podcast for you on Friday uh, so you got something to listen to and to break up the tedium of the interlull. Until then, folks, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 